Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into the topics we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, as we kick off 2020, we take a look at the blockchain space and the trends that are emerging around the world. And on this episode, we're focusing on Southeast Asia, and we take a closer look at Indonesia, this nation that is an archipelago of 17,000 islands where blockchain has the potential to unify. We're deep diving today with Pandu Sastor-Wordoyo and Jean-Daniel Gautier, co-founders of Indonesian Blockchain Association, and both are senior consulting partners at Blocksphere.id, a firm they both founded. So welcome, Pandu and Jean-Daniel, dialing in from South Jakarta, Indonesia today. How are you both? Um, we're doing well. Fantastic. Excellent. And how's blockchain doing in Indonesia? A lot of exciting stuff are actually happening here. They are. Nothing else to say. <laughs> well, tell us about, you know, how this technology has really um, emerged for Indonesia, where it started. And, you know, as we head into 2020, um, what are the things that people are really paying attention to in Indonesia and why? So um, I'm just going to start with the background, and Danny will uh, probably be able to uh, tell us about the trends of 2020. Uh, and um, the background of how Indonesia became so interested in, in blockchain technology is uh, actually, as you mentioned, we have uh, 17,000 islands, which is uh, a, a lot of agendas and a lot of uh, um, a a lot of decentralization. I, I always call my country, Indonesia, a decentralized country simply because uh, it's followed the democratic philosophy of really strong regional autonomy. Uh, we have 33 provinces and there is a distinct focus in provincial empowerment. And uh, this kind of administrative decentralization has actually created a lot of problems in the past. In the 75 uh, years that Indonesia has existed, uh, there are tons of different standards, SOPs, and IT systems uh, from like from different provinces might have different SOPs, might have different standards, and it's really hard. And you know, especially in today's uh, you know era of big data, uh, it's really hard to actually get a unified view of Indonesia itself. Uh, building a unified strategy for it is also very difficult. And uh, the basis of this is uh, the uh, basically the amount of the uh, administrative decentralization, as I mentioned. Uh, a lot of differing agendas, a lot of competing agendas, in fact. So it's very difficult for an Indonesian um, company or a government agency to basically get uh, one source of data. Like A very good example is every Indonesian uh, basically has multiple identity cards, uh, whether it's insurance cards from the, like the government social insurance card, whether it's a, it's a voting card, multiple government aid cards and even identity cards. We might have uh, multiple identity cards simply because there are multiple provinces and multiple agencies that sometimes don't talk together. Now, um, that, uh, that has caused uh, the uh, re basically research into blockchain to, to uh, take hold really early when uh, everyone else was basically focused on cryptocurrencies, actually uh, the Indonesian government was really focused on trying to get blockchain uh, into these systems and to help integrate data and help basically multiple agencies collaborate. So um, these conditions are also why uh, we co-founded the Indonesian Blockchain Association. Um, and 
basically to help the government understand this and basically to help the government uh, apply these technologies in real-world conditions. And so, Jean-Daniel, in 2020, what can we expect? So uh, we can expect a lot of good things. And and to understand a little bit more where it comes from, uh, we need to know a little bit more about the past, which is in in 2017 and 2018, uh, we saw uh, a rapid gain of interest from traders and crypto enthusiasts, quote unquote, you know, the nerd money. But 2019 has seen a measurable growth in the rank of its uh, blockchain capable developers. So there's been dozens of seminars, workshops, uh, dedicated new websites have uh, have been launched. And um, well, thanks thanks to, I'm going to say, the combined efforts of many, many actors in the industry, uh, we, we can see that uh, the interest is now shifting uh, from, you know, all the uh, initial offerings, this EO, that EO, um, towards actual application of the technology. So, and this is also due, yeah. and, and this is, uh, I think, important to mention it, to the emergence of more mature technical frameworks. For instance, uh, the uh, Hyperledger Suite and tools like Ganache and Truffle for Ethereum. So it helps answer the question for these developers, uh, where do we start? How can we, how can we begin learning? So now- I want uh, to understand that a little bit better. Um, you say measurable growth amongst developers. Yeah, where are people learning about blockchain? Are they getting educated in universities? Where does this start? So uh, in my personal experience, well, uh, also Pandu, well, Pandu mm-hmm. and I have uh, been speaking at universities and, and giving introductions, but there is, there is a tremendous effort that's been conducted now, in order to uh, to educate developers about about blockchain and its application, sometimes it goes through uh, through seminars, trainings, uh, a couple of training days here and there. But I also have to say, for having been in the uh, in the Indonesian IT world for quite a little while, that the uh, Indonesian developer base is very uh, curious and 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 on the bleeding edge by by nature, you know. So they, there is a spontaneous interest into this technology that has emerged, and we are seeing a lot of people just wanting to learn and just wanting to go forward with this technology. If I can add to that, Angie, um, the Indonesian Blockchain Association very recently uh, actually did a, a hackathon with the largest privately held bank in ASEAN. This is uh, Bank Central Asia, and uh, that hackathon basically got hundreds of participants. It's, it's a blockchain hackathon. It's focused on basically creating real solutions. Um, we had like over 200, probably 250 ideas uh, submitted. And they're, they're basically blockchain applications that are created by our local developers. Now, now here's the thing. Um, we, we used to think of like the developer skills as something related to university learning or uh, probably short courses. But in fact, a lot of the developers that submitted, uh, they've uh, learned blockchain from uh, multiple other channels, whether from just browsing, from YouTube channels, from um, going to the Ethereum Foundation or the Hyperledger uh, Foundation and uh, learning from that, or just going to uh, people's GitHubs and learning from that as well. 
There is a lack of standardization, yes, and there is a need for uh, formal training in this area, but uh, there's also a lot of practical knowledge. And uh, well, I think we've proved that. We've, so the, uh, the, the uh, hackathon itself is, uh, the website is finhacks.id, and uh, it's uh, something, somewhat of a joint venture between us and uh, Bank Central Asia. Uh, included a four-city roadshow and, you know, um, at, at the, the four-city roadshow in, in Indonesia, uh, basically, um, it ended with a grand final of thousands of attendees. Um, and out of the hundreds of ideas that came in, we, we chose the 15 best ones and basically gave them prizes. It's, it's, it's all very interesting the way uh, Indonesia is uh, actually um, leapfrogging, not, not, not mm. going through the formal education route, but going straight to basically practical knowledge of these developers. If you were to compare the, the talent pool in Indonesia against Europe or um, across Asia or even the U.S., how would you, how would an international audience rank the talent coming out of Indonesia? So in, in, in my actual opinion, there's uh, actually a lot of practical knowledge uh, in Indonesia in terms of uh, development skills uh, when doing blockchain, and especially when we're actually talking about the common blockchain uh, frameworks, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's Cypher-Ledger Fabric, there's a lot of people who are uh, not formally educated in universities to actually do blockchain, but are actually doing blockchain. Now, that is not R&D level skills. So we're not talking about uh, the research and development level skills of creating your own blockchain. I mean, uh, there are uh, basically a lack of skills in that area in Indonesia, but in terms of doing projects using existing platforms or uh, basically customizing existing platforms for new projects, Indonesia actually has a lot of talent uh, in, in that area. And that that also leads to uh, initiatives and support that not only uh, you're providing from a private level, but also the Indonesian government, uh, as you've said, identifying blockchain as something that they want to integrate into really the fabric of society in Indonesia. Talk about that as it emerges into 2020 or it coalesces into 2020. What what more can we see in the GovTech uh, stream? Sure. There, there are multiple use cases that are being researched uh, for 2020. Um, one of the things in the news recently is the Peer-to-Peer Lending Association that is uh, basically they're researching over financing prevention for uh, their members. Now, peer-to-peer uh, lending companies in Indonesia number around 140 or 150. Uh, there's actually a ton of them. Um, they, they don't really have a way to prevent overfinancing at the moment. So uh, what what uh, what happens is a lot of the lenders, uh, well, a lot of the borrowers basically default on, on, on their loans simply because they try to borrow from multiple peer-to-peer lenders. And they, these are basically the peer-to-peer lenders that advertise easy money for uh, personal loans, basically payday loans. Yeah. And uh, it's a bit unlike loan sharks. Loan sharks, essentially. <laughs> I w- some of my friends yeah. actually run these companies, so I wouldn't call them loan sharks. But many of them practice things that are like uh, loan sharks. But you know, I'm I'm not gonna publicly say it's uh, they're they're well, loan sharking. I'll just say that it's it's a big field. It's a big industry with with many actors, and as in uh, every industry, with many actors, some are more reliable than others. 
many of them are not. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the the thing about uh, the thing about overfinancing is uh, it's uh, they don't have joint data collection. Like the the data that they have is only kept within their walls, within their own particular lenders. Now the government has been cracking down on this, but they don't want to crack down in the form of. Uh, what is done in other countries, which is basically cracking down on the licensing. They, Indonesia is actually quite capitalist in its ways. And regarding this, uh, they're allowing uh, a lot of the fintech companies a lot, and a lot of the peer-to-peer lending companies free reign. Um, like uh, they're, but, but what they want to, well, what the government is actually asking the peer-to-peer lending people to do is to have over-financing prevention um, that overfinancing prevention is being researched on the blockchain. Now, there are multiple things like this that involve uh, collaborations between multiple entities that are also being researched uh, for 2020. The other one is the Indonesian Regional Banks Association, which has done several workshops about uh, blockchain for anti-fraud. Uh, and uh, the regional banks is basically provincial. It's it's They call themselves regional banks, but it's actually provincial banks. So provinces uh, in, in Indonesia. Each province, the 33 provinces, each of them basically have one bank. And between those banks, uh, to share data uh, and especially to combat anti-fraud, they are actually doing research on, on actually using blockchain. Um, there is uh, the another example, and we were basically involved in this as well, is the research that is going on uh, related to central bank digital currencies. CBDC mm-hmm. and uh, the Indonesian Central Bank, Bank Indonesia, has uh, done several uh, workshops and FGDs with the local fintech companies. And uh, uh, hopefully in 2020, they'll release a white paper that is related to the usage of blockchain in central bank digital currencies hopefully. and how. Yeah, hopefully. The, the, that's, that's basically the agenda. Uh, 2020, there's going to be a, a uh, something related to the uh, block using blockchain in central bank digital mm-hmm. currencies and uh, the risks and rewards basically of, of using central bank digital currencies. Um, in- to, to to quote them on this, uh, they are they are diligently monitoring the technology and its applications. Well, I it's it's a fascinating field, digital currency um, that really takes on the characteristics, whether or not it's blockchain itself, but the digital currency space amongst uh, central banks is certainly a trend that we're seeing. It's very interesting to hear mm-hmm. that Indonesia is is also investigating this. Do you think we're going to hear something in terms of an official launch in 2020? Um, I'm thinking more towards if it's going to be a launch, it's going to be a POC, and then it would uh, not be a retail uh, focused digital currency but more towards a wholesale focused digital currency basically mm-hmm. interbank settlements um mm-hmm. and uh, probably intercountry settlements as well uh, a lot like what uh, singapore did with their project ubin um it's mm-hmm. they're actively looking towards that in terms of retail digital currency there is other sets of research that is related to that mm-hmm. in fact blocksphere was involved in um one of the um research projects as well. Uh, Indonesia's digital payment space is actually very fragmented right now. Um, There's a a ton of um, companies actually in the space. You might have heard of Ovo. uh, uh, There's other companies like Dana, GoPay. Uh, There's a ton of companies that are doing, uh, that are in the payment space. And uh, although they do talk to each other, sometimes you can transfer 
from one side to another, but it's it's really uh, difficult to uh, to do so. And uh, there have been cases of fraud uh, because of the fragmentation. And of course, the Indonesian Central Bank is looking deeply into that as well. So the current possible solutions include uh, basically integrating QR payment solutions on top of one platform uh, mm-hmm. that can be used by multiple QR providers, QR payment providers. And uh, that can be done uh, on the blockchain. Now, um, that's I that's basically that. something yeah. interesting for 2020, at least. Well, for it's interesting for Indonesia, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It is. If I may add, what I really appreciate from uh, from all the regulatory bodies and, and government bodies in Indonesia is that they are looking at uh, blockchain um, as its own thing, as its own technology. So we've seen that in, in some other countries, especially with, with cryptocurrencies, uh, the, the, the technology and its application, they have been fit somehow, somewhat uh, into current regulations, uh, disregarding the, the actual, uh, you know, the actual innovation that was born with that technology and disregarding the fact that uh, you, you don't use blockchain transaction the, the way you use centralized transaction. So it, it ends up in, in uh, for instance, people in, in the U.S. not wanting to, uh, to have anything to do with, um, with initial offerings because they are afraid to break a law they don't know about. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in Indonesia, it's the opposite. Uh, we are looking, well, I say we, uh, general we, we are looking at it in a way that um, we, can, we can define its space and we can define regulations around it instead of trying to wedge it uh, into something that's already existing and that doesn't correspond to the actual evolution of the technology. And th- this is something that, uh, that I'm very happy about because uh, in the end it's going to make things clearer and easier for for everyone when it comes to implementing the technology as is, as as a technology, or when it comes to actually developing on it. Um, well, Pandu Jean D- Danielle, this is forecast, so we will ask you for your forecast <laughs> 2020 coming out of Indonesia. Pandu, well, we'll start with you. Okay, sure. Or, or Jean Danielle, oh, we can start yeah. with you. Oh, right. We can start with Jean Danielle. So, Go ahead. to my mind, uh, 2020 might very well be pivotal when it comes to implementing blockchain elements into consumer oriented applications. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, there's been a growing interest from uh, organizations such as the, uh, the Indonesian Central Bank, Pandu uh, mentioned it uh, earlier, and other major financial organizations. Uh, and it comes with, with the hope of employing blockchain to, uh, to optimize long time and, and well-known bottleneck, bottlenecks uh, related to, uh, to money flows. Uh, now uh, there is another uh, pretty pretty huge topic that's been debated for a long time, but uh, efforts seem to come to fruition here. It's uh, financial inclusion. So uh, Bandu earlier mentioned uh, the pin hacks uh, that we've we've been doing with BCA, and um, uh, financial inclusion was one of the major uh, categories, and it's seen a tremendous number of uh, really quality applications. Uh, the, the, this sector seems to have gathered enough interest to motivate the founding of several startups, which might very well break through soon. Uh, 
uh, especially especially the ones approaching the problem uh, under um, a low tech angle. So there is after mm. all these these bounds, and I would say even years of uh, discussion around the topic, this realization that financial inclusion has to come with uh, with low tech application of the technology, and we are starting to understand how to marry. Uh, low tech and high tech to make the technology more accessible, to reach further, to reach deeper into um, into the countryside and in, into places uh, which are geographically hard to reach. So this this is something that might uh, really uh, leave a mark on on twenty twenty. Okay, that's so, an incredible promise for Indonesia. Uh, Pandu, what's your forecast twenty twenty? So when I forecast things, I look at the trends and uh, we've been in the space uh, for quite a while, especially in Indonesia. And uh, just looking back to 2018, 2017, uh, there were only about six blockchain companies registered in Indonesia. And we now have 66 blockchain companies. This is amazing growth in only, what, about 18, 24 months and there are consulting companies, there they are training companies, development houses. Uh, there's a lot of projects as well, people who do logistics, big data, point of sale. And it's a massive ecosystem and it keeps on growing. Um, the Indonesian Blockchain Association right now, since it's the, the only association of blockchain companies in the, in, in the country, at the end of this year, we'll have 44 member companies. And uh, this actually shows, first of all, the, the interest in, the, we've been speaking about the government part of this, of the equation, but uh, I think we should also show that um, the people in the private sector, the Indonesian private sector, are really interested and really um, investing in this technology. Uh, Indonesia, just in a matter of two or three years, uh, we've also grown to have 16 uh, cryptocurrency exchanges in the country, uh, whereas previously we only had two or three. Now, um, the, the, I think in 2020, what will appear will be more platforms, uh, more blockchain as a service platforms from the corporations and more platforms for uh, intergovernmental collaborations uh, created within uh, Indonesia for Indonesian agencies and uh, a lot of solutions that basically help multiple companies to work together. I think 2020 would be the year uh, that many of these things come to fruition and uh, it will come to fruition in the shape of uh, collaborations between companies and collaborations with, between agencies. I think we'll see that um, uh, uh, Indonesia, the way it's uh, formed and the way it's uh, politically structured is a really good fit for these kinds of technologies. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, issues uh, can be solved and can be solved well. Well, for a nation of 260 million people, it is incredible to see that actually you have such a strong e-commerce economy. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it's higher than China, South Korea, and the U.S. Yeah. And uh, it, this digital economy can be well served by blockchain. We have been well served by the both of you today. Pandu, Jean-Daniel, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Word on the Block. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'm Forecast Editor-in-Chief Angie Lam. Until the next time. Thank you.